Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies and New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen, and it's one of my favorite shows of the year because we've got the Madison Art Cinema's one and only Arnold Gorlgon to talk about our experience at this year's Toronto International Film Festival. One of uh, the most respected and I believe the largest uh, film festival in the world happens every September. This year it was from September 6th to September 16th. Over 375 movies played at this year's festival. And while well, we did not manage from to see... From 70 countries. From 70 countries. There you hear Arnold's dulcet tones. And so this is you know the movies that play at this festival, which has been going on for 43 years, I believe. Uh, really range from big, pro- big, big budget kind of star power productions vying for Oscar nominations uh, to the latest from well-respected international auteurs to the most obscure uh, and esoteric uh, films from every every part of of the world, every part of the country. Uh, you know the Arnold U. Um, so I, I wrote a few dispatches for the Independent about my time up in Toronto and. While I was uh, walking around with you, I, I marveled at your uh, your inimitable ability to walk into any room, even one of strangers, and immediately not just make friends uh, with the people in the room, but to talk intelligently, compassionately, and knowledgeably with people about what you love. And the way you described it is your your um, your Weltanschauung or whatever it is is that you know the world is filled uh, with with stones. And, and a few diamonds, and you just keep on reaching into the bag. You're bound to pull up a lot of stones, but also a few diamonds, and you just kind of keep the diamonds, and you, and you throw back the stones. I think that's a good, a good analogy for the Toronto Film Festival, too. There's a lot, right. a lot playing there, but you just keep reaching back and back and back, and you're going to pull out some great stuff. So, all that jabbering aside, Arnold, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here, as always. It's always a great honor. Thank you very much, and thanks for your kind <laughs> words. So we've... Uh, but I am a dulcet kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> So we've been, uh, this is our, our third such recap show. And so I wonder for listeners who may not be familiar with uh, the festival, um, could you give us a, a crash course on, on why you go to Toronto each year? Um, what is it that you're looking for? How does this impact your business at, at Madison Art Cinemas? First, whether I owned a movie theater or not, it's the most incredible fun I have for eight days. I go for eight of the 10 days. For eight days every year, it's my favorite week of the year. Um, second, uh, beyond that, I get to talk and speak with colleagues on every level, from distribution to exhibition to uh, marketing and so on. People I talk to mainly on the phone or by email, and it feels like a reunion every year when I see them. Mm-hmm. I see them at other events also, but this is everybody in one place. And last, it gives me an idea of what's coming in the fall and what to avoid and what I may see. Now, of course, this year I saw 26 of those 270 movies. I slowed up a couple days and only saw two movies. I could have seen 30 or 32 Which I think this is a record for you, right? Or No, this, I think I did 28 once. You do 28 um, well, 20, 26, you said this year? 26 this 26, year, yeah. Not, not bad. I did uh, 19 over six days. Right. Um, so a, a little over three per day. But, you know, let's, uh, since this is all about the movies, let's, let's jump into what are some highlights for you from the 2018 Toronto Film Festival? Well, um, one movie that I loved, I was predisposed not to like at all, 
and I wound up loving it. It's one of my four favorite movies of the festival. But before I go and say it, I have essentially four favorite movies, none of the movies I admired and some I didn't like. Um, and two of them are absolutely esoteric and will never reach the mainstream. It makes me sad that Americans won't be interested in them. They're foreign. One is Lebanese and one is from the great Iranian director, Jafar Pahani, and um, who did The White Balloon, and now he's banned in Iran, so he makes secret movies, including the documentary about himself called This Is Not A Film, or This Is Not A Movie, I forget which one. But the two mainstream ones surprised me that I liked them so much for two reasons. First, um, A Star Is Born, I went in utterly predisposed not to like it, and just tore apart my defenses moment after moment. What you feel about all these four movies and the creative talent that went into these four movies, A Star is Born, I'm going to say Green Book, Three Faces, and Capernaum, is these are people that really put their souls to work. You could feel that their mission was authenticity and telling and making themselves vulnerable and saying something really true to the audience that was authentic. And it was unmistakable in all four of those movies. I was surprised I liked Green Book because I have to be honest, it's perfectly predictable. I knew how it would end. It's not that I knew the story, but it was such um, a ballet. It was such an incredible interplay between Viggo Mortensen, who played Tony Lip. And Mahershala Ali, who played the great jazz musician Dr. Don Shirley. That said, uh, by the way, it did win the Audience Award as the most favored movie by the paying movie-going public. The press and industry are not allowed to vote. Only, right. So they don't have... Uh, and this is really the one big award that comes out of the Toronto Film Festival. It's right. not really a, a the jury The game has won in the past. Right. I, I forget. And frequently, you could see it as a path towards high visibility at the uh, at the Oscars. That so, has a big impact. I'd love to uh, gush together for a second about A Star is Born, because that was one that I also really was surprised by my level of response to it. But since I didn't see Green Book and it did win the Audience Award, um, could you tell us a, a bit more about um, what, what what's the basic plot of the movie and also what, what uh, it was predictable, but it sounds like it did what it set out to do really well? Uh, well, first you have to know what the Green Book was i don't i think it may still exist but not in this if it does as a relic the green book is uh, a manual that african americans had in the 40s 50s 60s and 70s when they would drive throughout the south that would give them a list in every state and every town where it was hospitable for them to go to sleep to lodge to eat or to use the restroom or to purchase gasoline and things like that so that was the green book go back to now 1961 i think it was and um, Tony Lip, Tony Leolongolo, I think it was his name, played by Viggo Mortensen. That was the other thing. I was completely transfixed by the movie because I never saw Viggo Mortensen in a role like this, playing a wise guy. Right. And he never breaks character that I forgot I was watching Viggo Mortensen. And he, in fact, is a wise guy and was the bouncer at the Copacabana hmm. where all the wise guys went, and the wise guys owned it too. And uh, they shut down for repairs. And he learns of a job through a friend that someone needs to drive a Dr. Shirley through the South in 1961. So he applies for the job, and he walks into Dr. Shirley's apartment, which, by the way, is was and is 
above um, Carnegie Hall hmm. and meets this utterly prim and proper, self-contained, super dignified man who walks in the room and kind of sits on an, on a throne as he talks to him. He's incredibly articulate, well-educated. We do know, uh, apart from the movie, that Don Shirley went to the Moscow Conservatory and was on track to be another Vladimir Horowitz or Arthur Rubinstein, but he was told he's African-American, so why not give that up? So he created the Don Shirley trio of himself at the piano, a bass player, and a cello player, where he did this fusion like nobody else did of jazz and classical music. Well, Tony Lip gets the job to drive him. We already had known by some previous scenes that he's not well-cultured or educated, but, uh, and he, and he has racist, racist values. He's not, a, that he's not even aware of. And this road trip begins of these, this odd couple who are utterly, uh, have dissonant personalities. And of course, you know, what's going to happen and how they mutually transform each other's lives and what the trip did for two and for both of them. It sounds wonderful. It, it sounds like a, a crowd pleaser, but one that, um, that is right, rightfully so. A crowd I, I just surrendered to and it. And is there is there great music in it as well? I hope that... Yeah, there is, uh, but it, it's never fully played out. I mean, he plays concerts. It's about the relationship. And in Alabama and Tennessee and And places. do you know who the director of Green Book is? I should have looked this up. Yeah, Peter Farrelly. The, he is first venture alone of the Farrelly brothers. And... Um, of the 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 directorial the brother directorial something, about Mary, something about Mary Dumb and Dumber he right. kept making jokes at Toronto about uh, you know I'm the guy who directed Dumb and Dumber too <laughs> but so, this is but this isn't a comedy as I'm sure there are moments it, of levity it, but it there's tragedy in it there's sadness there's tension there's hilarious moments of relief hilarious moments that are really funny and. That we owe to Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, I never had any idea that he could do comic stuff and so Viggo believably. Mortensen probably being best known from his roles, Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings movies, right. also a history of history violence. History of uh, violence, you know, right. a very a very sturdy kind of uh, softly spoken but kind of stereotypically masculine presence. Right. Um, it sounds great. It sounds like you're going to bring Green Book to Madison, most likely. Well, it hasn't been awarded to me yet, but I'm going for you're it for Thanksgiving. For it. Um, let's uh, let's pivot over to A Star is Born for a second because we, we both saw that one and everything about this movie should have led me to hate it. I re- I've seen the trailer probably 15, 20 times before different you. movies and it looks, you know, this is the Bradley Cooper directorial debut in which he plays a, an aging, kind of just on the cusp of being over the hill country rocker who is in the throes of addiction but still manages to play these sellout um, festival shows he discovers a young, immensely talented uh, woman at a drag bar in L.A. who sings a breathtaking version of La Vie en Rose, that woman played by Lady Gaga, and the two embark on this very familiar cinematically. This it's very is, nice at the press conferences, by the way, in the Q&As, they kept calling her Stephanie. Did that? <laughs> <laughs> Um, that but so they embark on so this is the at least the third or maybe the fourth movie adaptation of this this with this title but it's a story that's very familiar of of a talented successful about to be over the hill artist um discovering and bringing up and eventually surpassed by the the talent who he he falls for why was this movie so good there are a couple reasons but i think it gets down to what you were saying earlier is that the relationship 
between these two characters on screen is just so incredibly believable. The way that Bradley Cooper crafts this this loving and somewhat competitive but mostly mutually supportive musical and uh, romantic relationship between the Cooper and Lady Gaga characters, you really feel like you're watching an actual relationship unfold before you. The music is fantastic. The stage sequences really put you in the the body of a performer before, you know, hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of people. All that visceral thrill of being on stage is, I think, captured by this movie. But at the core of it, it's, you know, as sappy as it is, it's just the relationship between these two that's so convincingly and sweetly and ultimately tragically conveyed that won me over to A Star is Born. Is there anything that that really stuck out to you? I mean, maybe Lady yeah, Gaga uh, is worth... Well, I had no idea that Lady Gaga could act like that because I, I forgot I was watching Lady Gaga. I forgot I was watching Bradley Cooper. I forgot I was watching Viggo Mortensen. This is an important thing. But again, what these four movies have in common is the dedication that the directors and actors had towards authenticity. For example... Lady Gaga insisted to Bradley Cooper, she's going to do this. We're not doing voiceovers. We're not lip syncing. What we sing and record is what's going on the track of the movie together. He didn't even know how to play the guitar. He had to take lessons for a year. He had to, uh, uh, singing as well. And because uh, his brother, played by Sam Elliott, plays an important role in the movie, he sounds a lot like, his voice sounds a lot like Sam Elliott when he speaks without giving anything away, there's a reason. It's not accidental uh, that that happens. So he really, really sang. And of course, Willie Nelson's son, what is his name? Oh, I don't Something know. To, but it was his band that played for them right? and okay. also gave them the impetus to do it. And of course, songs were written by Lady Gaga as well. And you told me that the concert, the performance scenes actually took place before actual crowds. Yeah, it wasn't fast-cutting, so they would go to a concert of, let's say, the Grateful Dead, and there'd be 70,000 people, and uh, the people got a treat, as Willie Nelson's son's band would be on there, and Bradley Cooper would come out and sing like a real country rock western star, and of course, Lady Gaga would come out, and they flipped, so the enthusiasm you see in that crowd was not manufactured, and they had to do it. They had to go around the world, maybe concert in new england new zealand a concert in london and so on and so forth um but even the minor characters you wouldn't expect it played by andrew dice clay who we saw in blue jasmine who was fabulous in blue jasmine he plays the lady gaga character he's not a stand-up comic i admire but man he can act right and he felt really like lady gaga's father in it and these people were dedicated to this process i could say you can go online and look at the q a's and everything like that um, now, I don't want to imply that this is a perfect movie. I think that no. both of us had some uh, problems with the second half or even maybe the last third, especially the the somewhat uh, gratuitous kind of depredation of the Bradley Cooper character at moments. But this is a and the the tension between uh, the like vacuity of pop singer songwriters and rock and roll singer songwriters i think is a little bit dated i think that we live in a, a culture now that recognizes the artistic value of pop music a bit more than than maybe this one does which really draws a line between well, I like, think he, everyone who sings pop i is, think jackson maine the character not bradley cooper felt that she was straying from her true self it's not that he 
look down on that music necessarily. Mm, that's a good point. It, it was just the, the diversion from, it. and it was her authenticity that drew drew him to her. And as she became famous, she started to dilute that with uh, dance routines and dyeing her hair because mm. that was another thing he insisted to her that we're doing this with no makeup. Mm. Authenticity, which is, you is a never great saw word Lady Gaga the... without any makeup and. So we, I want to uh, say that you're listening to Deep Focus on WNHH, LP, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm your host, Tom Breen, and I'm talking with the Madison Art Cinema's owner and founder, Arnold Gorlick, about our experience at the 43rd Annual Toronto International Film Festival. Uh, Arnold, I'm going to throw out my uh, favorite movie of the fest, and I want to hear your thoughts, too, because I know this is one that you uh, you really fell for this director's previous film, but this one I don't think resonated with you as much, and that's If Beale Street Could Talk, the right. follow-up uh, to Moonlight by director Barry Jenkins uh, that, stalls, that stars Stefan James and Kiki Lane uh, as a young black couple in Harlem in the early 1970s. And Regina King, who just and, won the Emma. Oh, yeah. that's Emmy. right, yes. Right. Regina King plays um, the, the young woman's mother. Right. Uh, but it's, it's, so it's an adaptation of a 1974 James Baldwin novel uh, even though it's it's called Beale Street, it takes place in Harlem, really speaking to the universal experience of African-Americans uh, in cities that James Baldwin was writing about in the mid-1970s. And there is, you know, there's a plot, there's a wrongful arrest and incarceration and trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, whether and how to um, raise a child with one uh, parent uh, it, behind bars. But really what Baldwin and I think what Jenkins captures so beautifully are the day-to-day struggles of uh, of being black in in New York City in the early 1970s, or it could be really at any time in this country's history. I think the authenticity with which uh, he captures this very loving relationship that is inflamed by politics, not because these are inherently political people, but because they are black and kind of have to be. They kind of have to be political once you recognize the injustice being perpetrated against you just because of the color of your skin. A few, just Barry Jenkins, I think, is um, a an impeccable stylist who doesn't let his style get in the way of storytelling. In particular, the way that this movie kind of constantly center frames characters so that they're staring right out into the audience, kind of confronting you with every single gaze. These are loving people and not particularly confrontational, but again, their situation makes them have to live lives that they otherwise would not have wanted to live. They want to find a stable home, a good job, a good education, a safe place to live. And because of their environment, they they can't do that. I don't think it's done in an exploitative way, um, but I think that Jenkins, even more so than in Moonlight, which is a movie that I loved, captures what it's like to be, to to want to forge a normal life in, in uh, circumstances that are prejudiced against you. When I spoke with you about this movie after we saw the first press and industry screening, you said it broke a little bit of the rule that you love so much in Moonlight, which was show, don't tell. Do you, right. as you uh, reflect on it, do you think that uh, Beale Street never, still... Don't, uh, just tell the story, just tell the don't story. explain anything. I'm actually quoting Isaac Bashevis Singer when he... So in the, in the now uh, week or 10 days since we saw it, what are your reflections on if Beale Street... I like the talk? movie. I don't like it as much as Moonlight. You know, uh... He was burdened, and it's not his fault, by having to reproduce uh, a work of art by perhaps just about the most articulate American human being that ever that ever lived. So In there James was the Baldwin. interjections of James Baldwin's words, because it was based on his book, If Beale Street Could Talk, meaning the African-American experience, if it could speak and be 
across barriers and borders and so on and so forth. So it gave me the feeling at times that it was explaining what you just saw, and I was moved by what it just saw. And sometimes I just wanted to hear James Baldwin talk more because I could listen to him forever. One thing I noticed in this festival, a preponderance of films showed their entire movies in facial close-ups of the face. Tight face, which this was. Um, First Man, First man a good example which, of that. Which I actually, the more I think about it, the more I'd like it. Maybe we'll have a second to talk about that one. But this is Damien Chazelle's follow-up to La La Land about Ryan Gosling starring as Neil Armstrong as pursuit to you know, be the first man to walk on the moon. That one is really all close-ups, though. All close-ups. Very for the entire thing. close-ups. Yeah, and I kept being constantly made aware of it. I mean, every single character was close-up. Yeah. Almost constantly. Yeah. Uh, their heads were filling that enormous screen mm-hmm. entirely throughout. Yeah, and you know, I can see that being a bit of a handicap, and I think that maybe why I I come around a bit to it on If Beale Street Could Talk and First Man is because those close-ups are for a reason. These movies are trying to convey what it's like to be trapped inside of these people's heads as they figure out that, you know, the A Star is Born is not a particularly introspective movie i mean we we love the the serve the performance uh the the love the tragedy we don't need a, although there are plenty of close-ups there too but we also have plenty of crowd shots here i think if beale street could talk and first man demand to be um you know almost inside of the cranium of the characters that we're watching sometimes that's to the detriment of the art though i i hear what you're saying um tell, tell me about another movie that you singled out as um exceptional at toronto well, it has an unfortunate title because no one will know what it means. It's called Capernaum or Capernaum. So I Googled it, and it's an Israeli city, ancient Israeli city on the Sea of Galilee in the south south of Israel. And But that's not it. But I have a Lebanese friend, and I said, where did the name come from? Well, Caper, Capernaum is a uh, blighted city in Lebanon where this is, where this is set. Um, and it follows the daily life of bo- boy named Zane, to, of boy named Zane, right? And it's directed by Nadine Labaki, who whose first film was just a wonderful movie called Caramel. Mm-hmm. If you if you ever saw that, it's just set set in a beauty salon where they do waxing of hair with sugar caramel, and the ladies talk among themselves and imagine romance and so on and so forth. This um, had a feeling in some way like a movie um, I saw last year called The Insult, uh, which also, it seemed like it took the courtroom scenes, which were brief, took place in the same courtroom in Lebanon and had the same atmosphere. But it's about Zane, a little boy, who we learn the movie starts. He's in prison. He's 11 or 12 years old. They don't even know how old he is. They had to guess by looking at his teeth how old he might be. And um, he comes to court, and apparently he's suing his parents. For what? For making me be born. And that's how the movie takes off. So it probably is not affecting when he says that, because it sounds ridiculous. But by the end of the movie, this is not a ridiculous idea coming out of this kid's mouth. Where they found Zane. Zane, they did find him as a waif on the streets. So he's a remarkable child to do this role 
with such authenticity and such power. Uh, it's, and it's a remarkable character as well. And what it essentially, you know, there are a lot of movies out now deal with a couple of things. The Black Lives Matter issues, we have The Hate You Love, we have Monsters and Men, we have uh, Beale, uh, If Beale Street Could Talk, but also the issue of undocumented immigrants, and not necessarily immigrants, because there are people within a country who are born without birth certificates who have no documentation, and therefore they too, although Zane may be Lebanese, he's stateless and as rightless as any immigrant, mm. uh, and so on and so forth. So this is a powerful, quotidian look at his life, of how he struggles through all of it. But the main thing I took away from it, because I had some harsh judgments for his parents, but the beauty of the movie is, and it is harrowing, I have to say that, but it has a beauty to it and a power to it. I'm so glad uh, that, you know, I don't know that Americans would stay to see it through the end, but it showed the true tragic nature of these things, that some people are giving only horrible choices, and they have to choose the best of the horrible choices. And then when they've chosen them, we on the outside could look at them and say, boy, that person's horrible. How did that person choose that? And we would blame them for it. By the end of the movie, you know, I was judging his parents harshly. And by the end of the movie, I began to see the array of horrible choices before them and how they were forced to choose one. And that was the beauty. And the other thing is the compassion that one ought to have for undocumented people wherever they are and the tragedy that enters their lives. And so on. They're, in this current political climate, they're horribly dehumanized. It's, it sounds and that's like the power of the movie. I, I a love remarkable the movie. Point. I, yeah, that was probably the first movie after which you called me immediately after seeing it and said, Tom, no matter what you do, see Capernaum. Now, unfortunately, I, I wasn't able to, but I, I can't wait to, to catch up with that one. I hope it does make it to the U.S. in, in some well, capacity. Well, here's but. an interesting thing. They shot so much, and they were so impassioned because uh, Nadine Labaki and the uh, uh, producer uh, were so committed to this and want something done about this issue. They actually have a 12-hour movie, a six-hour movie, a four-hour movie, wow. and the two-hour movie that I saw, which which I actually thought there was one segment that could have been, I got the point, that could have been shortened a little, just one segment. But otherwise, it's an extraordinarily courageous movie. The other movie, I don't want to take time from your movies, is, please, please. is by um, uh, Jafar Panahi, the band Iranian director who did White Balloon and the documentary about himself only contained in his apartment called This Is Not A Movie because he's banned in Iran. And he finds ways to make movies by going to rural areas in about well, nobody will notice him. But this movie... Which is called Three Faces? Three Faces uh, or Trois Visages hmm. or something. That's why I couldn't find it in the index. I kept looking up the number three. <laughs> the word three wasn't there. <laughs> so then I found out it's going by his French name. And Jafar... Uh, 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 Panahi stars in the movie as well hmm. there isn't a character you don't love and the, again the power of this movie is that we so easily dehumanize Iranians and the movie is just a jewel hmm. I don't know what else to say it's one of the few movies that really got resounding applause at the end and it's simple 
understated, no special effects, talky and everything like that. But you will fall in love with each and every character, and it has a very powerful opening. And, you know... His his uh, filmography, especially since uh, being put in, in house arrest by the Iranian regime, is really a testament to the um, power of art made under severe constraints. I mean, he has really nothing to, to work with, especially for this is not a filming. I think it's made entirely within the context of his home where he's under house arrest. But anything by Jafar Panahi is well worth checking out. I, hopefully that his name is big enough that this will also make its way to the United States in, in some capacity. But it's three faces. It's it sounds like a a lovely and and sweet another another film about um, exiles. He, right. He I think it does have a country. distributor. I think it's Kino Lorber. Hmm. And so um, we'll see what they're going to do with it. I'm gonna uh, quickly uh, just say one more film that I, I want to recommend that I, I really love from this year's festival, and then maybe we'll have a second for uh, a disappointment to share if there's sure. disappointment. But also, I'd love to just hear your thoughts, Arnold, on. Um, on the festival more broadly, how it compares to other uh, years that you've been. And uh, quickly, the uh, second movie that I want to single out as uh, truly exceptional this year's festival is the latest from Japanese filmmaker Hirokazu Koreeda called Shoplifters. His movie After the Storm was one of my favorites of the first year I went to the festival. Yeah. This one is another modest, gentle, kind of heartwarming masterpiece about uh, a family of social outcasts and petty thieves living on the margins of society uh, in a large Japanese city. Uh, the father figure uh, teaches his son how to shoplift, uh, how to go through all of these uh, very kind of arcane and ornate uh, rituals, like uh, you know making eye contact as they walk in, but never walking together. Uh, you know, twirling their thumbs around each other and then touching their noses before they pocket you know just a small cup of noodles or you know an apple or whatever it is. These are are petty things that they're stealing, but it's a ritual that that bonds the two together and it also sustains their life, really living um, completely overlooked in the middle of this big city. One day, walking home from the latest bout of shoplifting, they see a five-year-old girl abused by her parents, left on really the side of the road. They pick her up and, and bring her home, too, and she becomes a part of this family that proves to be a family of choice, a family where the members are not necessarily connected by blood, but rather because they've decided that these are the people, whether because these people have been abandoned by others or just these are the people that they want to spend their time with, the ones that they want to dedicate their lives to and look after. It is a, a, a beautiful film about how simple and easy it is to do uh, remarkably good things, how goodness is not necessarily something that is only performed by heroes, but just the small steps of of uh, choosing to look out for someone, to help provide food for someone, to help someone survive when everyone else, especially the ones who are kind of most uh, socially obliged to look after them, their family members, when family abandons them, who who is it that's looking after these people? And this small group of of uh, self-selected family members has found a way to live. It's not a particularly sustainable way to live. And as the movie progresses, um, it's not necessarily a uh, unequivocally happy trajectory. But I think that what Corey Ada does here and does in just about every one of his films is that he finds um, the, the complexities and the beauties and the sorrows and the insecurities of being in a family something that almost everyone can identify with, uh, whether you have parents, siblings, kids, anything. If, if you think about family relations at all, uh, uh, Shoplifters is a movie that I'd strongly recommend. Um, do Don't you fail have, to mention, I think it won the Palme d'Or, Golden oh, Palme right. at the yes. Cannes Film Festival. Yes, definitely. Best won, at Cannes. Yes, so uh, happy uh, distinction to see 
uh, shoplifters. I regret there. not having seen it. I could have, if I reviewed my schedule, I could have found a way to squeeze in it, but I regret having missed it. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, if you want, to share a disappointment. I know we, we alluded to First Man, but is there anything, as you reflect on the 26 movies that you saw at TIFF? Well, there are movies they didn't like, but they weren't disappointments because mm-hmm. I had no expectations. But mm-hmm. uh, um, I had expectations for Beautiful Boy, which fell short for me. This is Timothy Chalamet from Call Me By uh, Your oh, Name. it's fine Star acting, and, and Steve Carell yeah, is Steve fine Carrell. acting. But it's, and I don't mind that it's harrowing, because I told you I saw a harrowing movie that I love didn't impart anything new to me about the um, uh, intransigence or uh, uh, inexorable nature of addiction. Mm-hmm. But it opens up, you know, I thought we were going to see the devolu- devolution of the boy and the wonderful happy life that he had, and then one day drugs overtook him. No, this, this was just watching the anguish of a parent, watching his mm. child self-destruct, with a somewhat uh, happy ending in an epilogue. But uh, I recognize the great acting. Timothy Chalamet is a great actor. Uh, Steve Carell is a great actor. I mean, I realized he was a great actor when he did Foxcatcher, because hmm. that was such a departure from type for him. Right. Uh, but I can highly recommend the movie, and I think it was a serious work, and they were committed to it. I just didn't learn anything new. This is going to be totally unfair to the movie because it's one that I strongly recommend, but I was a little disappointed by Steve McQueen's Widows. Now, I know this was universally beloved. This is the follow-up to 12 Years a Slave about a uh, group of uh, you know, wives of professional criminals in Chicago. Uh, their, their husbands are, are quick, quickly put to bed, and, and they become, yes, the, um, the ones who have to pull off that last great heist to get... Yep. You didn't anticipate the plot twists. There, yeah, no, I didn't, and I loved it. There are a lot of great plot twists, and again, impeccably made. I mean, Steve McQueen is an incredible filmmaker. To have someone of that caliber of filmmaking talent making a you know a genre movie is really exciting. But I still have to say that, considering how blown away I was by both the style and the social impact of of Hunger, uh, and also of Twelve Years a Slave. I didn't find the, you know, stereotypically corrupt Chicago politics background particularly um, in, enlightening in the way that I found 12 Years a Slave and Hunger to be. I found it entertaining. I thought Colin Farrell and especially Robert Duvall are just fantastic as, as the, the bad Viola guys. Davis. Viola Davis, right. But I mean, as the bad guys. But yeah, Viola Davis as the, the leader of, uh, of this, this heist crew of... Uh, wives of professional criminals just fantastic but i I still widows it left me wanting um you know to leave and the way that i i left his previous movies and think this is not just great art but it's going to change the way that i think about an important social issue it's a lot to put on a movie but nevertheless widows uh it's a great movie but one that doesn't resonate as much with me as Uh, i thought it had no message i didn't think have an expectation. I didn't, it's a f- I didn't imprint on it that it should have had a message who've been transforming. But what I watched for two hours was I was thoroughly immersed in the movie and it was just now Steve McQueen. I said he knows how to make a movie. I make mean movie. the yeah. craft of movie making for its own sake is what I enjoyed. And it was just a two hour movie that has no impact on my life. Didn't have the impact that, say, Moonlight had on me or or uh, A Star is Born or Green. 
but all I wanted from that movie was two hours of watching a really well-made movie about nothing. And Widows <laughs> definitely has the, the best... It was not even necessarily believable, but I just <laughs> liked it. The, yeah, the craftsmanship makes it worth itself. The, definitely the best edit in any movie that I saw at TIFF. Not that I'm constantly thinking about how movies are edited, but if you remember in the... Op- maybe It may have been the second shot of the movie, but we see... Um, Viola Davis and her husband Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson lying in bed together. Uh, they seem to be waking up, and very abruptly, he just kind of barks in her face playfully. But with that bark, we're cut to his, the last heist that he was a part of, and it's just an incredibly jarring moment. One of the first of of many in two hours. Aren't we only have about two minutes left? So I want to get to the um, our overall thoughts on the festival. You've been going to this for four years now. How did um? How did 2018's TIFF compare to previous experiences for you? Well, my first impression when I sometimes looked at the daily schedule, I said, wow, this is light this year. But now in retrospect, I didn't think it was light. Um, It was light for those people who wanted to see more mainstream movies uh, or something like that, because some of those were esoteric and you didn't know. I'm sorry I missed the movie Manto by a wonderful Indian director, a woman I met as the screening was going on, I was sorry I missed it. I won't go into that. But I thought it was rich. I thought, after all, it was rich, that I saw so much that was rich, and I realized how much I missed that was rich. Do you think that, or do you have a good sense of what you're going to be playing or pushing to play at Madison after coming back from Toronto? Well, Does this festival have any material impact on, on your theater? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I mean, you know, as soon as I saw... Star is born, you know. My, I try not to do what everybody else does, but every once in a while, a movie is so good and hits my demographic. I think the thing about a Star is born, it hits every demographic from young to old, every economic class from rich to poor, and that's why I want to play it. And I usually try to distinguish myself from the multiplexes, but in this case, I want to be in the mix and compete. And I think my audience will be happy for it, as they will with Green Book. I hope I get a chance to play uh, uh, Pahani's movie, uh, Three Faces. I don't know who's going to come to see it, maybe during the slow week, but it's very hard to get people to see it. You know, it's hard to sell foreign movies, period, anymore. It's a real grief and sadness to me. It's diminished my enjoyment of my work that I can't present Mm. world cinema anymore. Well, you can always count on, regardless of what uh, is playing at Madison I can guarantee you that you'll like it because Arnold is one of the rare independent movie theater owners who uh, is still around, who is really making sure that every movie that appears on his screens is well worth uh, a visit, even if you've never heard of it. So even if it looks like a scary foreign film, check it out. If it's playing at Madison, uh, that's enough of a seal of approval uh, for you, I say, uh, from the show. Arnold, the one uh, thing I don't like about this episode is that now I just feel... uh, a terrible longing to be back in Toronto watching six movies a day. Right. <laughs> so, so as much as I love reflecting on it now, I just, but you know what? Next year, there's always next year in, in Toronto, next year in Jerusalem, maybe the, the two I the booked same. my, <laughs> where I'm staying the day I left. It's, it's a great festival and Arnold, it's such a pleasure to be able to spend the festival with you. So thank you for coming on the oh, show. And, I enjoyed and, flying and, up with you and <laughs> palling around with you and looking at your insights here. So definitely uh, check out, um, wrote a bunch about this for the New Haven Independent and the New Haven Arts Paper, uh, but also check out you know previous conversations that Arnold and I have had about 
uh, tiffs of years past because this is a festival that's that's special. And if you like movies, you will love what's coming out of TIFF. But I saw you immersed among movie stars and not <laughs> taking enough photos of them. I, you know, I, I did get a photo of you with uh, some high up players and uh, the just in Fox Searchlight and. Uh, Oh yeah, who'd you get me with? Uh, just the who's the the head of, of Fox Searchlight. I'm, I'm oh Steve Galula, yes, right? Yeah, so I got some. <laughs> well, he's not a movie Industry star. players, but right. but but uh, if anyone is wondering, yes, Arnold did go up to Melissa McCarthy and uh, and spoke with her for a few minutes. It winds up that she did not go to the Yale School of Drama, um, but but uh, Arnold did do some movie star chatting. Maybe next year that'll be a problem. And with Richard Grant. Richard Grant. Because well. I wanted him to know he made one movie as a director, wrote and directed one movie. It was autobiographical of his upbringing, I believe, in South Africa. And nobody saw this movie. And it's called Wawa, an unfortunate title, W-A-H-W-A-H, kind of mimicking what the wealthy elite kind of uh, say, sound like, Wawa, <laughs> you know, like that. And I just wanted to let him know that somebody in the country played his movie, Wawa, and he was delighted to hear it. And he's an extraordinary actor in anything I've seen him in. He's, I'm sure that... He's a, he's a guy you recognize, but you won't know his name. But see? he's terrific. And he's great in... Uh, can you ever Can you forgive me? me? Um, he's going to be nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I guarantee it. You heard it here first. Well, Arnold, um, can you uh, quickly share the website of Madison Art Cinemas or the address or what, where... If people are interested in checking out the theater, where do they go? www.madisonart.com cinemas.com art is singular cinemas is plural and madison art cinemas is one word and the address where is uh, where's it located? 761 boston post road in madison we're right across the street from rj julia booksellers and next to the post office arnold we'll catch up with you soon thanks so much oh thanks for having me so much